Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. We're kingdom builders. I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, pardon me, in verse number 6, as, as we are learning about how God's kingdom operates. I want to make sure that you and I understand how God provides for his church to do what we're assigned to do. Uh, he told the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Everyone needs to hear. He said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Make disciples. Teach them all the things that I've taught you. So how do we do that? How do we get the gospel to the world? How do we do the ministries that we do? How do you discover your gift? How do you live the life Jesus put you on this earth to live? We need to understand how heaven's kingdom comes to earth. What's the exchange system? How do limited human beings serve an unlimited God? How many want to take the limits off your life? You say amen today. I, I, I want to live. How many want to live bigger than yourself? How many want to leave a legacy with the end of your life? Yeah, we, we are here to do that. So we need to understand how God makes that happen. Before I read these verses, let me share with you what's really been on my heart these last few days as we gather here, uh, even today with Thanksgiving coming up this week. Let me say this. I, I really believe in the body of Christ. We need to refocus as we're coming to the end of the year. Would you think about that? Today is a refocus for us. I really believe we need a reminder. We're going to see that word in these verses, a reminder. Pastor, what do I need to be reminded of? How, what do I need to refocus? You know, the Bible says in Romans 12, we are transformed, how? By the renewing of our mind. We, periodically, we need to refocus. We need to, we need to remember. We need to renew our mind so that God's work can happen through us. So we're, we're going to help us. What is our mindset that we may have slowly adopted after uh, 18 months of COVID? I, I'm, I'm concerned that the church may have a COVID hangover. How many heard what I just said? You know, I, I'm, I'm afraid that the, the, the nation at large is dealing with a COVID hangover. What's our mindset? Where are we? What's our life view? How do we see ourselves? How do we see our family? How do we see our future? Where are we? Uh, we? We are living in a very unsettled and polarized culture in our nation right now. And so uh, what, what I hear, what I, you know, and I, I can only take so much network news. I can only take so much social media. Because what, what I seem to hear, this underlying drumbeat of lack of supply chain breakdown, of depression, isolation, fatigue. So, so uh, we need to refocus from the biblical perspective. You don't need a pep rally today. We need a word infusion today. We don't need an emotional kick in the seat of the pants. All right? We, we, we need an encounter with the presence of God. All right, so, so let's, let's look beginning in verse number 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. These things are going to bring great hope to us today, but they might rattle our mindset. How many are willing to let me rock the boat a little bit today? Okay, you know, what's that old song, rock the boat? Don't turn the boat over or something? Okay, some of you know it, some of you too old. 
I almost sang it, but I didn't want to get us off track. I'm going to rock the boat today. I don't, it's just one or two, but some of you look like I need to rock the boat. You look sleepy, so I mean, it's just, you know, I'm glad you're here though. I'd rather you be sleep here than sleep home. I'm glad you came. All right. So let's look at verse six. The whole thing he says is what? Remember this. There's some things we need to pause and remember. Okay? In other words, we must be reminded in seasons like this. What does God have to say? Okay, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now hold on. Some of you just grabbed your pocketbook right there. Some of us don't understand kingdom seeds in any other context but money. This is my lifestyle. Are you with me today? We're not going to take another offering. Chill. It's all over. Listen to me. This is how we live. This is how we look at life. Okay? This is about how we relate to each other. It's how we communicate with each other. It's how we forgive and bear with one another. It's how we look at our family. It's how we interact with our church family. It's how we go to work. It's how we go to school. Everybody with me? So it's a mindset that needs to be refocused in us. Because we are living not from a position of exhausted supplies, but we are living from a position that has connected us to the unlimited resources of Almighty God. So he says, I want you to think about how you live and make decisions and interact with people. Whoever sows sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously, you'll reap generously. Verse 7, each man, each woman, each person should give what he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. There is a heart condition. From which ushers and springs what we do that pleases God. Now, has anybody ever given you a gift and you could tell they didn't really want to? Huh? Has anybody ever given you a Christmas gift and while you're unwrapping it, they're telling you how much it costs? How hard it was to find it? Come on, have you ever had one of those? Didn't you feel like just saying, well, didn't you keep it? You understand, that's what he's talking about here. Have you, you know, it's kind of like in a marriage where, I know nobody here today, but it's kind of like in a marriage where you kind of get at odds with each other. And it's kind of like, well, I'll be nice if you'll be nice. Not reluctantly. Not reluctantly. Or under compulsion. But because you choose to. You know what the Bible says? God says he loves Think of that statement. God loves people who cheerfully, from their heart, live their life knowing He's in control. That pleases God. It's just like, have you ever seen your child do something nice and and you see them growing and developing kindness and you see that demonstration and you say, oh, I love that. I just love that. That just means so much to me. That's what this is saying to us. How we live. Why we do what we do pleases the heart of God. Everybody with me on this, all right? So, so watch this. 
And God is able. There's the bottom line. Come on, let's say that together. God is able. See, this whole thing about life, I'm either living on the constant state of lack or I'm living in a constant awareness that God is able. God is able. God is able. And God is able to do what? What is he able to do? To make all grace. Grace is how I'm saved. How many need as much grace as you can receive? I need grace. I didn't just need it the day I got saved. I need it today. I need it today. Uh, and, and God is, what is he able to do? He makes all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God wants you to live with an awareness, my God is able. My God is enough. God's ahead of me right now. God's in control. And it begins to determine how we live. This world we're living in needs to meet more people like this. You want to have a witness? You want people to listen when you talk about Jesus? Live like that. You want people to pay attention when you invite them to church? Live like that. People will want to know why you are who you are. Why you're generous and you're kind and you're giving and you're loving. That's the ticket for witnessing about Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from, right there. How many are with me? Okay, let's look at verse 10. Part of verse 9. As it is written, he has scattered abroad, what? His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Right in the middle of this, right before he starts talking about sowing, that's how all this happens. He says, I'm scattering gifts. Gifts are scattered. Every one of us have gifts. Are you with me? Every one of you have seeds in your life. Amanda stood here, took her three times to the Dream Center. But there were seeds in her that had never been planted, that were lying dormant until that time came. And now she's going to see everything God put her on this planet to do. We're all in that same place. Now watch this, okay? Now he who supplies seed, God's a supplier of the seed, right? Uh... To the sower that you and I, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Let, let me, can I help us with something right now? We have two viewpoints of life. They're really just two. We, we are either living with the, with the thought, the understanding, whether we say it or not. We live with the concept that who I am and what I do, my provision is based on me and man or based on who God is. You're living from one of those two positions. Your, your provider, your provision, your, your confidence, your peace, your, 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 how you do what you do, where, where you draw from, is either dependent upon what man can do or dependent upon what God can do. There's one or two sources. Let me help you with something, with, with, with some buzzwords that are going around. Let, let's, what's a biblical perspective? See, the, there, there's a biblical perspective. Communism was one of the most debilitating uh, demeaning, uh, destructive isms that's ever ruled on this planet. It's a government system, cruel and, and dictatorial. But communism as a political governmental system sprung from a religious point of view of atheism. The religion of communism is atheism, no God. From the position of no God came the government of communism. Out of a government based on the premise there is no God came an economic system called socialism. Socialism is a result of communism which is bred out of atheism. 
Socialism is an unbiblical view of life. Socialism is a biblical, is a perspective that flies against everything the Word of God teaches. Because its root is in atheism, which says man is your source. But when we begin to study the Word of God, and we find ourselves as men and women living in the kingdom of God, we begin to live with the knowledge and the awareness and the reality that I am not limited by a political system, a governmental order, or a lack of religious faith around me. I'm not dependent upon what a man can do for me or bring into my life. I have a direct line to the God of this universe who has planted seed inside my life. Who has constructed me to live as a person who knows who he is. And as I live my life obeying that word with faith in Jesus Christ. I have a provider that is higher than a government or an ism or anything else that exists. I have a provider whose name is Jehovah Jireh. Who knows my name. Who knows the hairs on my head. Who has looked into my life. And deposited on my journey. Everything I will ever need. And if I walk with him. And talk with him. And follow him. When I arrive tomorrow. He's put on deposit. What I need for tomorrow. And so I don't worry today. About tomorrow. I obey him today. And when tomorrow shows up. I walk into the deposit that my God had waiting on me. I don't fear. I don't worry. I'm not afraid. I don't bend my knee and bow my heart to anything a man can do because my God has been faithful. Can anybody say amen to that? Somebody's got to tell the truth. So let's illustrate this. Let's go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Everybody still with me now? James 2. Let's look at verse number 14. See, we have to understand. Uh, we, we, I mean, I like preaching that. I know you. It sounds like you like me preaching that. But you got to do something. If you're going to live like that. It doesn't just happen sitting around. It's not a theory. It's a reality. Everybody with me? The seeds in your life. The giftings, the talent, the ability, the knowledge, the choices I make have to be made, have to be sown, have to be enacted to release that system to work. All right? So James 2 verse 14. See, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? We can say it this way. What good does it do me to go to church and shout and not leave and obey? All right, so can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have deeds. <laughs> well, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God? That's good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Wow. 
I hope I have more faith than a demon. I have, hope I have more lifestyle than a demon. So if all I do is believe, I've got, I'm no better than a demon. There it is. <laughs> okay. All right. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Come on. Be given a lot of titles in this life. (laughs) You can have a lot of recognition. But to be called God's friend. What a goal. What a title. What a privilege. Why was he called God's friend? Because he believed God. And did what God told him to do. Obeyed what God told him to do. His obedience didn't earn that. It was a result of the relationship he had. You understand that? You don't do to get. You, you, you do because you've already gotten. <laughs> All right. So, so watch this. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So let's look at, let's look at this thing that we read about here about Abraham. Let's go to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. We need to take a look at this in these moments we have together today. Somebody following along with me. You see this track we're on today. Let's go to Genesis 22. Let the Bible speak to us today. What a powerful, powerful concept. I don't know if there's any other act of faith in Scripture short of God giving us His Son, Jesus Christ, that might parallel what we're going about to read. I don't know if there's any other uh, narrative that challenges my faith more than the one we're going to read right now. I, I, it's, it's overwhelming. But we need to understand how we got there. So let's go to chapter 22. We, we read, we read uh, James. We saw Abraham right here in this moment mentioned. We see that, that faith must have corresponding action to validify that it exists. And so here we come. Let's look at this. 22 of Genesis, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now... If you're not biblically familiar, let me quickly tell you that Abraham, when he was 75 years old, God said, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave your country. I want you to take your wife, and I want you to follow me. I'll tell you where you're there when you arrive. Just get up and go. 75. Now, they had been married for some time. They were unable to have a child. He said, not only am I going to lead you to a land that you've never been to before, I'm going to make you a father. He's 75. How you like to tell your wife that at 75? <laughs> Honey, I got good news. <laughs> she was 65. God made a promise. 25 years later. Now, when you're 20 and you wait 25 to have a child, that's a long time. When you're 75 and you wait 25. You know what was happening? Maybe God has to wait those 25-year segments on us. Because we have to arrive at a place where we, we will say, only God. Only God. Are you with me? As long as I keep trying to live with the man provider in my life, how can God get the glory? 
As long as I keep allowing myself or a man to be my source, how will I give God the glory? But when I get to be 100 years old, and my wife's 90, come on, somebody help me here. And we've never had a child. And somewhere on the journey, God even changed his name. It had been Abram, now it's Abraham. Abram was exalted father. Abraham means father of a mighty nation. Can you imagine the gossip at church? Every time Abraham and Sarah walked in, they come walking in, this old dude, you know, he's on a cane, got a beard to his knees, looks like Uncle Sile and Duck Dynasty. And, and, uh, and he comes strolling in there and she says, Honey, Big Daddy, Father of a great nation. Here's your seat, dear. They're like, wah, wah. They got dementia. Those two old crows don't even know what they're doing. Okay? But when he was 100 and she was 90, laughter came in the house. Come on. <laughs> laughter came in the house. A baby boy. They named him Isaac. His name means laughter and joy. You know what I like? Come on, this may, this may be the flesh. If it is, God, forgive me. I like it. God gets the last laugh. Come on. All those doubters, all those doubters, all those people saying, he's crazy, it's never going to happen. Look who's laughing now. Come on. Look who's laughing now. All those people that said, Amanda, wasn't never going to make it. Look who's laughing now. All the, come on. Come on. Come on. Just enjoy the victories and give God the glory. Don't be a smart aleck. Just, just have a little chuckle and look at the Lord, just you and God, and say, look who's laughing now. Okay. All right, so after those things, so now you got where we are today. He waited 25 years. Man, finally, the baby born. This isn't a fable. This literally happened. These are real people, historically documented. Okay? So, sometime later, I just thought that was a little bit of an understatement. You might want to, okay. Sometime later, here he goes. God tested hmm, Abraham. Every once in a while, we have to discover, are we who we say we are? Do we love God like we always loved Him? Do I love Him as much when I have the promise as I loved Him when I was waiting on the promise? Do, do, do I love Him as much today with the blessing on my life as I did when I was praying for that blessing? Please, God. When I was single, ready to mingle, praying for that spouse, desperate for that spouse, fasting for that spouse, putting on the makeup, going to the gym and buffing up. Once I got him or her, Am I still praying like I pray? Fasting like I fasted? Come on now. Okay. I'm just kind of meddling today. See, sometimes we need to find out, am I who I say I am? Okay. So he says, Abram, got something for you. Okay, you ready? Here I am. Verse 2. God said, take your son. Look at the parallel. This was a type, shadow, a foretelling what the Father would do for us. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, 
and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Kind of harkens back to Genesis 12. I want to take you to a place you've never seen. Once you get that boy, I want you to go. I'll tell you when you get there. Wow. Some faith lessons will never be outlived. Everybody with me? All right. Can you imagine the shock? How stunned he was. How overwhelmed he was. God clearly had forbidden in his word not to offer your children as a living, as, as a human sacrifice to these demon gods of the nations around them. And yet now he tells this man, this son, who was the promise, you take him and sacrifice him as the ultimate offering to me. Verse 3, early the next morning, come on. Can I tell you something? Are you with me? That's the obedience zone. The longer I wait, the less likely I am to do what he said. Come on, how many with me? <laughs> obedience delayed is obedience denied. <laughs> okay, so, so if God's been working on you, can I give you some help? Just do it. Just get going. Because the longer you try to think about it, here's what I found out. Usually the second voice is me. Everybody get that? I'm helping somebody been praying. Usually the second voice is me. First voice is God. Take the boy and go. And then here's what I say. Was that really God? Isn't it amazing when he tells you something you've been wanting? Hallelujah. Thank God. You know, but when he tells you something that tests you, oh, I'm not sure. Early the next morning. Come on, let's, I got to go. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, took him with two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, you stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. You're going to see a pattern throughout Scripture. There's often times in a moment of taking your most precious seed and planting it, you cannot do it with an audience. There are moments of obedience to God. When critical life-changing decisions have to be made, that you're going to have to shut the door, go in with God, get out of the audience, get away from the eyes, get away from the noise, and you and God get alone when you're going to make these kind of decisions and choices. Okay? So he said, you stay here, I and the boy will go over there. And then look at this statement. We will worship, and then we're going to come back to you. Now, I don't have time, but you can read the, the reference to this in Hebrews 11. It says, and Abraham reasoned that if God had promised him the boy, that if he would obey his God and give the boy as a sacrifice, God who promised a nation would raise the boy from the dead. So Abraham reasoned, if I do my part, God's going to do his part. No matter how illogical it seems and difficult it may be, if I do what he told me to do, if I take the most precious seed I have and plant it, God will show me who he is. Now, I don't know. He called that worship, my God. We call worship goosebumps and dancing. God calls worship sacrifice. Trust. Here's my life. Here's everything I have. Here's all that I am. I trust you with this whole thing. Okay. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. 
And he himself carried the fire in the night. I'd like to preach on carrying the fire, but let's keep going. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up. Here is where the heart is cut open. He says, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here. Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? (laughs) If that doesn't grip you, you don't believe the Bible. (laughs) Where's the sacrifice, Dad? He was probably at least a teenager, maybe around 20 years old at this point. He knew what time it was. (laughs) He's beginning to look around. Say this party's getting real small. You know, it's me and dad and wood and fire and a knife. Where's the lamb? Abram answered, verse 9, God himself will provide the lamb. He didn't know what was about to happen. He hadn't had Hebrews chapter 11. He didn't know that, but he knew God. See, when you don't know what's going to happen, you better know the God. He said, all your life. He said, Isaac, God's going to provide. When they reached the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there. I'm going to tell you something. The Abraham we met in Genesis 12 doesn't build an altar like that. He had to go through some seasoning, some preparation. Weak faith doesn't build these kind of altars. How many are listening to me right now? Weak faith doesn't build an altar like that. Half-hearted Christianity doesn't build an altar like that. People that are fair-weather believers don't build those kind of altars. See, that man that built that altar right there was not the man that started on the journey. The good news for you and I is that God will take us wherever we are and whoever we are, but he'll build something in our life. Come on, if we'll take the journey, God will begin to build something. God will begin to make something. He's taking you to a place That when you first came to him, you can't imagine you'd have that kind of faith. If we'll follow and walk along with God and take the intermediate step, God's going to bring you to a place to understand why he's done everything he's done in your life. See, there are going to be moments when you want to back up and walk away. We live right now, and I'm concerned with a Christianity in in, in America, in our culture, that, that is a, to me, is a slim shadow of what I read inside my Bible. We have an easy believism. We have a, we have a, you know, we, we, it's, it's hard to tell the church from the culture as soon as we walk outside of the building. We have such a compromise. The Bible says friendship with the world is having enmity against God. I know people don't want to hear this kind of preaching, but what I'm trying to say is God has something for you. God has something for this church. And it's not easy. It didn't start immediately. And it's not that I'm earning the love of God. That was given me on the cross. But it's I'm developing to be the person God can use to do things greater than we could ever imagine. It's because God has brought us to this nation at this time that has run out of solutions and answers for the chaos. But he can't use someone who's never grown in 25 years. He can't do something in your home if your faith is where it was 20 years ago. He can't do something with his church if we've sat around and petrified for 20 years. He can't do something with an immature believer who needs to build a mature altar in their life. It's not earning anything from him. It's allowing my life to be in a place where God can walk in and people see his glory. See, 
We have to understand God sees something we can't see. So, so watch this. When they reached the place God told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. In Abraham's mind, will, obedience, Isaac was dead. The boy was dead. But... The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. <laughs> Did you see what Abraham said the first time God called him in verse number one? Here I am. Here he is again. Here I am. Same man. See that? Abraham had grown in chapter 22. It says, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Are you reading with me? What does he say? Now. Now I know. You passed the test, Abraham. I didn't want the boy dead. I wanted you to plant your seed. I don't, I don't have any glory with your son dying, but I needed to know, can I do what I promised you I'd do? See, there are times God's going to put a promise in your life before you're ready for the promise to be answered. God's going to drop a promise in your life and you're not ready for it to be fulfilled. But if you'll trust him and walk with him, he's preparing you and developing you so that when the promise comes, you're going to handle it well. You're going to be able to handle the harvest. You're going to understand why God did what he did. So, so watch this. He says, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now I know you love me because you gave me the dearest thing in your life. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horn, horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So what happened? See, see, you got to watch this. God sees what I can't see. God has a ram when all I can see is my son. God has a harvest when all I can do is look at my seed. But if I get my eyes off the seed and get them back on the one who gave me the seed, if I'm trusting that what I have, I have only because he gave it to me, if my security and my identity and my hope will stop being based on what I have and return to who he is and what he said, I will be able to give it to him. And when you give it to him, not before, but when you do, then you get to see what God's been looking at all along. He already saw the ram when all you could see was the boy. And then I want you to keep reading. Watch what happens here. So Abraham called that place, verse 14, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. He, the first time God's name, Jehovah Jireh, ever spoken was right here in Genesis 22. There was a revelation of God that Abraham knew nothing about. There was a new encounter with God that nothing could have shown him on this earth. But on the mountain of God, if you're willing to trust him, if you're willing to give him the seed, your life, your obedience, you're about to encounter a God that you've never seen before, known before. I'm telling you, God will mature you so he can trust you with a revelation of who he is. But he's not done. Verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abram from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely, are you ready? Bless you. Listen to how the King James says this. He says, in blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, 
I will multiply your seed. That's what it says. Your seed. Your seed. Do you understand what happens when we trust God? When we, when we plant the seed we've been carrying, when we put it in His hands, we have a revelation of God we've never seen before. Not only we begin to find out, God says, I'm your provider. And then God says, not only will I provide for you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to bless your children. I'm going to bless your family. I'm going to bless what comes after this. Why? Because now I know that you love me more than anything that I do for you. See, Abraham saw a son. God saw a seed. Abraham saw one boy. God saw a nation of people. God looks at things bigger and greater than you and I. God sees what you and I can't see. God knows what he's doing in our life. How many believe he should be trusted? Can somebody say amen to that? So, so, so watch this. We're going we're gonna to end. Watch this. God gives you a seed. God places something in our life. Every time God puts a seed in our life. Think of Abraham here. That seed... When it's time to plant it, there's going to be a challenge. There's always a challenge when it's time to plant. There's always a challenge when it's time to release and sow. So, so God gives the seed. God gives a promise. You're going to have a son. And there comes a time when we're going to face a challenge to that promise. What are we going to do? Why did we have a challenge? Why did God say, Abraham, let's find out where your heart is? Because the, the challenge, the problem, the, 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 the thing that seems to be an obstacle is really just a signal that the future is greater than the present. That the person who he gave the promise to is not big enough for the person he's going to fulfill the promise to. So are you with me? You've got a seed. You've got a promise. You're going to face a challenge. Listen to the process. Every promise will face a problem. And every problem demands a decision. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I've got the promise. But if I'm going to plant it, I've got to face that. Every promise faces a problem. Every problem will demand a decision in my life. What am I going to do with it? Every time I make the right decision, are you with me? God's developing my faith. Developing my faith. Revealing himself to me. See, church, listen. We keep praying for deliverance. And God's wanting development. How many heard what I just said? I'm going to come over here one more time. <laughs> we, we, we want deliverance. God, get me out. God, get me out. God, stop it now. God said, just trust me. Just get the wood and the fire and the boy and let's start walking. God, I don't like this. Just trust me. God, I don't understand this. Just trust me. What are you, Abram, what are you doing? Me and the boy are going over there. What are you going to do when you go over there? We're going to worship. And we're going to come back. My God. He'd never seen anybody raised from the dead. Are you with me? He, he'd, he'd never met Jehovah Jireh. He didn't understand what God was going to do. But he trusted him. Every time I get a promise, a problem's going to prop up in my way. Then I've got to make a decision. Am I going to turn back from the problem or am I going to walk with my God? Every time I keep walking, God keeps developing my faith, developing my faith. You start off as Abram, you end up as Abraham. 
You start off as an idol worshiping heathen and you end at the end of your life and they write about you and say you're the friend of God. I'm going to tell you something. There's a relationship with your father that is deeper and richer that supersedes every human relationship, that rises above every human circumstance. And God wants to bring us there. I want our worship team to come. I want you guys to stand with me. We are not through. I just want you to stand. To give me a minute or two more. Come on, stand. Don't go. Just stand. How many are with me this morning? <laughs> Thank you for those brave few. <laughs> come on, church family. Right here. I want us to pray. God has some big plans for everyone in this room right now. God knows how to answer that promise that he put in your life. How many are listening to me right now? You know, I see as I prayed over today, I saw this path, this road, and I never connected this. Watch this. I saw this road with seeds laying all on it. The people had just dropped along the way. They dropped. And I saw birds coming out. Remember the parable of the seed, the sower? Those seeds never produced anything because we just dropped them. Forget it. I've waited too long. Waited too long. I can't trust anymore. Are you with me? Let that go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I know God promised me, but it's been 20 years. I'm 95 now. I'm never going to have a son. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Can I tell you something? God says, get those seeds back in your hands right now. I'm giving you a chance to pick up your seed again today. I'm giving you a chance to reestablish your faith today. Grab that back up. Are you with me today? Put your dream back up. Pull your marriage back in your hands. Come on, worship team. Come. I want you to pick it up. I want you to pick your dreams up. I want you to pick your worship up. I want to pick your goals up. I want to pick, pick up everything you have. I want you to begin to restore. Yeah, I know people have been mean and rude, but pick your love back up today. Are you listening to me? I know people have broken their vows, but pick your trust back up again today. I know people don't deserve to be forgiven, but I didn't deserve to be forgiven. So I'm going to forgive and pick my seed back up today. I'm not going to let the enemy steal it away. Anybody with me right now? It's time. It's time. It's time. God's been faithful. God's been too faithful for us to throw these seeds down and walk off and leave them. Are you, are you with me? You're getting a chance to pick them back up. Don't, oh, oh, don't say you're too old. Don't say you're too old. Hundred-year-old Abraham talking to you today. Abraham's looking. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Don't say you missed your chance. You haven't missed your chance. Everybody breathing? Everybody breathing? Had missed your chance? Well, I missed my chance. No, you didn't. Pick it back up right now. I, I, I missed my moment. Pick it back up right now. God's literally giving you a reset in this moment. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit's giving you a reset. Well, I used to believe, but I don't. Well, you can believe again right now. I used to trust. Well, you can trust again. How do I do it? You make a decision. In the face of all that, you make a decision. It's screaming in your ears. You've got to let go. Make a decision right now. God, I'm picking my seeds back up. I'm grabbing it again. Grabbing it again. I really hear the Holy Spirit saying this. You know what happens when you give up on your promise? You become critical and bitter. You start looking for reasons to be who you are. and Do what you do. You start judging people. We live in a nation of haters right now. We live in a culture of criticism and bitterness. It's, it's everywhere. Listen to me today. Come out of that in Jesus' name. Stop looking for a reason 
to throw your seed away and start picking them up again today. Say, I'm going to believe. Has somebody failed you? Well, Jesus has never failed you. Has somebody lied? He's never lied. Has somebody forsaken you? He will never forsake you. I'm challenging you today. Come on, church. There's, there's some Abrahams in this house. Come on, right now you may still be Abram, but I call you Abraham today. There's some Sarahs in this house. You wanted to lay it down, but God said, come on, sister. Don't put that thing down now. Come on. It's going to rise up in your life. It's not too late. The only way the devil wins is when I quit. It's the only way. In due season, I will reap my harvest if I faint not. I've been in it too long to give up now. Anybody here? You've planted too many seeds to walk off. Don't do it. Don't do it. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.